0: With Michigan beating Washington by double digits last night in the national championship, what could Texas have done differently last week in the Sugar Bowl to make sure they were playing last night for a natty? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, what could a Texas have done differently last Monday night to make sure they were playing last night on Monday (laughs) against Michigan? In the second segment, Adonai Mitchell and Jalen Ford have declared for the NFL draft. My thoughts on them moving on and what that means for the program. Also, I forgot to mention Jonathan Brooks, silly me, yesterday on yesterday's episode he had declared for the draft previously um so what that means for texas and then trill carter is heading to auburn and the transfer portal and alfred collins is returning next year to the 40 acres so what that means for the program as well and then in the last segment which will be a tougher matchup michigan or georgia next year the last three national champions in college football will be on the longhorn schedule so like i said michigan on the road georgia at home my way too early projection on which one will be a tougher matchup. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns Park of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I was wrong. And usually when I'm wrong, I come on here and say I'm wrong. Sometimes if I'm wrong, depending on the severity of it, I'll take that take to the grave. But most of the time I come on here and say when I was wrong, and I was wrong yesterday. All right. I came on the podcast and said that Washington would win the national championship. I didn't think they would win it easily. I didn't think it would be a blowout, but Start Washington winning, right? And I cited the recent history of uh, elite level quarterbacks throwing to NFL wide receivers, being the difference in the national championship from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence, from Tua Tungavailoa replacing Jalen Hurts in the national championship, throwing the ball to Devontae Smith to Joe Burrow, right? With Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson to Mac Jones, right? Winning in in 2020. And then, you know, Stetson Bennett is in the NFL, even though 2021 and 2022 was really based on the defenses. And C.J. Stroud last year put Ohio State in position to beat Georgia or upset them and move on to the national championship. They would have smoked TCU as well. But the kicker missed like a 37-yard field goal, right? And so, you know, really it came down to a, a chip shot field goal. That the kicker missed. Otherwise, we'd have another example of an NFL quarterback throwing the NFL wide receivers winning the national championship. So I thought that that would be the difference for Washington. I did not think that Michigan would just be able to run the ball down their throats and play defense. I thought that eventually at some point, right, J.J. McCarthy would have to match Michael Penix Jr. throw for throw. And I just didn't think that that's something that he's capable of at this point in his career. And it didn't matter, right? Because Michigan was able to just run the ball down their throat and play defense. Now, I will say that even when Michigan had like 220 rushing yards, right? And they had, you know, ran for two of the easiest touchdowns you'll ever see in a game of that magnitude, the score was still 20 to 13, right? There was still room for Michael Penix Jr. and that offense to make one play, right? Or him to, you know, show up and play like an elite quarterback and take that game over. But you have to give credit to the Michigan defense because they never allowed that one play to happen. And then eventually he had to start forcing it. He threw the interception that went all the way back to the red zone. They scored a touchdown on that. And then, you know, they couldn't punt at the end. So they went for it on fourth. Now didn't get it. They scored another touchdown on that to, you know, increase the deficit to 21 points. But for the longest, even with how well Michigan was running the ball, that was a 20 to 13 game. So, like I said, you have to give credit to the Michigan defense for not allowing the best passing offense over the last two years in college football to really make any big plays in that game. You have to give credit to Michigan as a whole. Right. I know that people are going to say they cheated. I don't hand out the punishments of college football, uh, but you have to give credit to them. Right. Going 15 and 0 in the Big Ten. Um, winning your conference championship and then winning the national championship really after the last three years. Right. This has been a culmination of three years, losing to Georgia, losing to TCU and then coming back and winning it all this year. And you have to give credit to Washington. That's a a special team for an amazing football program right now. That's going to add a lot of value to the Big Ten. And I know that, you know, we live in a culture now where it's like ring culture. It's, you know, either win the championship or you're a failure. But that's a team that was coming off of 21 straight wins. You know, that's a special team with special players like Michael Penix Jr. and Roma Dunze. And even though they didn't perform to, you know, the highest level last night, that doesn't change what they've been able to do over the last two years, right? So I know that obviously they're down right now, they're hanging their head, but you'd much rather get to the national championship and lose to a really good team like Michigan than not get there at all. What this Washington team was able to do, what Michael Penning Jr. and all those players were able to do over the last two years is special and should be remembered for a long time. They won't be immortalized because they lost the national championship, which sucks. But like I said, that's a special team that should be remembered for a long time. I know Texas fans will remember that team for a long time. But what could we have done differently? Right. I know I've talked about Michigan and Washington for the last five minutes. Here comes the Texas angle. What could we have done differently to ensure we were playing for a national championship last night and not the Washington Huskies? And I know I said that I was done with my Sugar Bowl coverage. But when you have to come up with topic ideas or podcast ideas four to five days a week, sometimes you got to take the layups. Right. And as soon as Michigan won, I said, what can Texas have done differently? Right. This is me taking the layup. The first thing is, I think that this shows, you know, P. Kikowski and the Texas defense that the best teams can get pressure and rush the passer with four while playing, you know, seven in coverage on the back end. And you can look at pro football focus or you can look at certain stats and certain tweets that will tell you that Texas got a lot of pressure on Michael Penix, Jr., That's cool, right? How you define pressure is subjective, but it was obvious that Texas was not getting the type of pressure on Michael Penny Jr. that Michigan got on him last night. Like from the first play really on, like he just looked – shook like he did not look like the same quarterback and that confidence and that poise we're used to seeing from Michael Penix Jr. was gone right even on the screen passes the short passes intermediate the checkdowns he just did not look the same and even when he got you know off coverage or was able to make those throws that he usually makes has made for the last two years which is why he's thrown for almost 9,000 passing yards just nothing was in rhythm right you know even when the pass rush didn't get there it might as well have got there because they had him shook all game And even though they only sacked him one time, it felt like every time he threw the ball, he was getting hit on the ground hard, right? Which is why the entire fourth quarter, he was essentially holding his ribs while they were like they were broken, right? It was almost painful to watch him try to play in the fourth quarter. So I can promise you that even though Texas got pressure, they did not get the pressure that Michigan got and it did not have the type of impact that Michigan's pressure had on Michael Penix Jr. Because like I said, he looked like a completely different quarterback against Texas, 430 yards on 38 attempts against Michigan, 175 less yards, 255 on 13 more attempts, right, with two interceptions compared to no turnovers and no sacks against the Texas defense. So this should be a lesson to, you know, P. Kikowski and, you know, the defensive staff that the best defenses can get pressure with four not having to blitz. And then, of course, they just started blitzing them at the end when they were up by double digits. But the best defenses can get pressure with four and then play coverage on the back end, and you're hoping, bringing in players like Trey Moore and Colin Simmons, that you'll be able to dominate games with your defensive line the way that, you know, Michigan did in this game against Michael Penix Jr. I think you need dudes in the secondary, right? You know, as good as that Michigan's pass rush was, right, as good as their front seven was in this game, they still had dudes like Sane Ristil and Will Johnson on the back end to lock up. And I know they played a lot of cover three. They played a lot of zone, but they played it really well. But, you know, even that, right, you saw how good or how quality their DBs were, right? When they were in man coverage, you saw how quality their DBs were. I mean, that play that Will Johnson made to get that interception, that's crazy. I mean, he literally got it, bat it out of his hands, was able to find it, track it, and secure it all the way. <laughs> like, this is in like a second and a half. the way to the ground right and that's a huge play that led to three points for michigan even though they ended up winning by 21 that was huge at that point in the game right and when you look at our secondary i think that our pass defense was solely reliant on Tavandre sweat and byron murphy playing like all americans or baron sorrell and ethan burke getting pressure off the edge right when our dbs were forced to sit back there in coverage when we could not get a pass rush usually they were food, right? And that's no disrespect. That's just what we saw this year, right? They were one of the worst ranked pass defenses. And we just saw them last Monday night get cooked beyond belief, right? John A. Baron, uh Jaron Thompson, uh Michael Taft, you know, Ryan Watts, Terrence Brooks at various points, right? Are vulnerable in coverage, especially if we're not getting a pass rush. We did not see that from the Michigan defense last night. They were locked down in coverage and it shows the need for dudes on the back end. And you're hoping they bringing in like Andrew Makuba, Xavier Filsami, uh, Kobe Black, Wardell Max, Santana Wilson, players like that. You'll have those dudes on the back end that will be able to play coverage at an elite level in the big, biggest games in uh, college football. And I think that Derek Williams and Malik Muhammad can be those type of players, but they're not going to be those players in their true freshman year. So hopefully they can develop and be those type of lockdown, you know, difference making, you know, game changing players in the secondary. But. Obviously, after watching Michigan play Washington and after watching Washington play Texas, it's obvious that we need more dudes in the secondary. And of course, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and the staff know that. That's why a few players from the secondary have entered the transfer portal and they made that a huge priority in this recruiting class out of high school and the transfer portal. And then the last thing is balance is overrated. Right. We saw that we had an advantage against their run defense and were able to run the ball at a really high level. Michigan ran the ball 38 times and passed it 18 times. They were not interested at all in that game in terms of being balanced. I'm not sure if, you know, Steve Sarkeesian felt like the passing offense had worked all year. If he felt like, you know, I got three NFL receivers and an NFL tight end, we're going to pass the ball and be able to run the ball. I'm not sure if he went into that game trying to prop up Quinn Ewers or put Quinn Ewers on a level playing field with Michael Penix Jr. What was the case, right? But it was very obvious that Texas could run the ball at will against Washington we were never down more than 13 points and that didn't come into the third quarter but it just felt like for whatever reason I'm not sure if Steve Sarkeesian got bored I'm not sure if he wanted to make it a Michael Pennings Jr. Quinn Ewers game you know you could say it's because the running backs fumbled but I think even with you know those two fumbles we still should have ran the ball a lot more than we did I said that if we would have ran the ball 43 times and passed it 28 times we probably win that game and like I said when you look at it Michigan was not interested in being balanced at all. They ran the ball 38 times and passed it 18 times. That's why they beat Michigan and won the national championship. You have to wonder if Texas subscribed to that game plan and ran the ball 40 times and threw it 28 to 30 times, if they would have been playing Michigan last night instead of Washington. So congrats to, you know, the Washington football program, congrats to Michigan as well. But, you know, Texas fans for a long time will be wondering what if. <laughs> Today's episode of lock on Longhorns is brought to you by Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of life, but can we just talk for a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if one of my family members or you know, one of my friend's kids or anybody got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace Pack... Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinuses, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. Visit JaceMedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to JaceMedical.com and use offer code locked on to get twenty dollars off your order. All right. Some more movement on the 40 acres, uh, mostly what we've expected. Um, Adonai Mitchell has not directly declared for the NFL draft. I want to give that uh, disclaimer or footnote first, right, because he could come back and say the reports were false. I'm coming back to the University of Texas and we can all jump in glee. But we all expected him more than likely to enter the NFL draft. And the reports are, you know, that he likely will enter the NFL draft and he just hasn't announced the decision himself yet. Um, Didn't put down his career stats because I'm not really interested in what he did at Georgia, but this year at Texas, he was phenomenal. 55 catches for 845 yards and 11 touchdowns. And it felt like for the last two years prior to this year, we were always looking for, that wide receiver that could take pressure off of Xavier Worthy or that wide receiver that could play on the outside as well and be, you know, kind of that one A to, you know, one B to Xavier Worthy, excuse me, or a strong number two. And I think that Adonai Mitchell stepped in like a lot of people thought he would and was really a strong number one B to Xavier Worthy. And that was at times was our go-to target, especially in the clips. right? When you look at it, the last two throws that we threw in the end zone with our season on the line went to Adonai Mitchell. Like, in fact, Xavier Worthy did not get targeted on that entire drive with our season on the line, right? You know, <laughs> I'm not saying anything about Xavier Worthy, but that just shows how much impact that Adonai Mitchell had in one year and how much this offense was missing a player like Adonai Mitchell over the last two seasons prior to this one, right? He had 300-yard games this year, which was tied with JT Sanders. So that shows how much impact he had for our passing offense. And just when you look at the big plays against Alabama, specifically after Alabama took that 16 to 13 lead, you know, really throwing the ball to JT Sanders and uh, Adonai Mitchell in the third and fourth quarter are the reasons that Texas – was able to pull away and get their biggest win, you know, possibly in over a decade on the road against Alabama. So he was a huge reason for us winning that game. The huge catch on the sideline against TCU to seal the game. He also had a big one against Alabama as well um, on the sideline to get a crucial first down when they played him in one-on-one coverage and then catching his fifth playoff touchdown, right? It felt like, Oh, okay. He had four, you know, touchdowns in four playoff games. Like, okay, that's kind of, you know, coincidental, even though he's going out there and making the plays. But then, of course, he comes to Texas, and in Texas' first playoff game ever, they had to make sure that they got Adonai Mitchell a touchdown after he had to complain to the, you know, to Steve Sarkeesian and the, you know, offensive coaches on the sideline to get him the ball. But he got his fifth playoff touchdown in five playoff games. It just shows how, you know, impactful he is as a wide receiver, and it shows how much impact he brought to this Texas football team that we had our best season in – Over 12 years, right? You know, as soon as Adadon Mitchell showed up to campus, he's just a winner. He's been a winner his three years in college football. and I expect him to do some more winning in the National Football League if indeed that is the decision he makes. Jalen Ford, um, it's just been a special linebacker for us, you know, over the last two to three years, really the last two as a starter, uh, 287 tackles, three sacks, three forced fumbles and six interceptions in his career, just filling up the stat sheet, and that 2022 season will be one of the more special I've ever seen and probably will ever see from the linebacker position, just in terms of what he was able to do on all levels, he was certainly robbed, you know, for defensive player of the year, and I was hoping that he could come back and get it this year, I don't think anybody, maybe outside of Tavandre Sweat and Bo Davis, expected to Andre sweat uh, to make the jump that he did this year and win the award. But, you know, Jalen Ford certainly, you know, was an all world linebacker for the Longhorns the last two years. I heard something recently that he was playing with an injury for the majority of the year, which may explain why he didn't have the same season that he did in 2022, but this was still one of the best defenses in the country. Third best rush defense in the country. You have to give our quarterback on that side of the ball, Jalen Ford, a lot of credit for that. When I think of, you know, his biggest moments or my favorite moments from Jalen Ford really the first time he flashed on the screen for me was in 2021 against Oklahoma state when we lost that game, but he came in and uh, dropped the running back for that failed two point conversion. And I was like, I think we all were like, why isn't Jalen Ford getting more playing time at the linebacker position, especially at that point, when we weren't strong at the linebacker position and he came back in 2022 and you know was one of the best defensive players in the country is one of the biggest reasons for our defensive turnaround last year and like I said he didn't have the same year this year in terms of statistically but in terms of impact this Texas defense was even better than it was last year and he was in the middle of it for all 14 games so um you know, Just give credit to, to Jalen Ford and what he's been able to do in terms of helping change this program and help changing our defensive philosophy the last two years. I remember last year he had a pick in the end zone of Hunter Decker that was huge in terms of beating Iowa State. I think he recovered the fumble last year um, that was forced by Keandre Coburn to beat Kansas State. So he was just a magnet in terms of making plays, making tackles, making sacks, and getting his hands on the ball last year. And just the last two years, he's epitomized um, what you want to see from your linebacker at the University of Texas, and I'm hoping that all of that rubs off on Anthony Hill because I think Anthony Hill has a chance to be even more special than Jalen Ford was. But you have to give you know, credit to Jalen Ford for creating that foundation at the linebacker position at least the last two years at the 40 Acres for players like Neonga LaFalle and Anthony Hill to carry the torch. Jonathan Brooks, right? <laughs> I do not know how I forgot to mention Jonathan Brooks yesterday and what he meant to um, this football team this year, you know, obviously we would not be in the position we were in, you know, even though we fell short without Jonathan Brooks. And, you know, I think that you can make the argument that if Jonathan Brooks does not get hurt, Right. We don't start getting away from the running game. The last two games it worked against Oklahoma State, obviously, it didn't work against Washington. And I think that you can make a good case that Jonathan Brooks helps lead Texas to a national championship if he doesn't get hurt just because there was no way that you could go into a game and not give him 25 touches the way that he was playing. Right. But, you know, injuries are a part of football. And like I said, for a long time, Texas fans will be wondering what if. We were all excited to see Jonathan Brooks from the first time he took carries, right? Even behind uh, B. John Robinson and Roshon Johnson, you looked at Jonathan Brooks and said, he's special. And when he gets his time, he's going to carry the torch just like they did. Maybe not as productive, but he's going to be a very good running back at the University of Texas. And. We all knew that, apparently, but Steve Sarkeesian. (laughs) For the first two games of the season, Cedric Baxter started, right? And that was not the right decision. And then the third game, right, the first game he comes in as a starter, he has like 180 scrimmage yards against Wyoming and then just goes on a tier of eight straight games with at least 112 yards from scrimmage, five of those going over 150 yards from scrimmage, one of those games going over 200 yards for scrimmage. So he was dominant. Uh, He was the leading Doak Walker Award favorite, in my opinion. I thought he was a dark horse Heisman candidate. And I think even with him getting injured when he did, I still think he had a more impressive season than Marvin Harrison Jr. So if he didn't get injured against TCU, there's a chance that he would have been one of the finalists on stage for the Heisman Trophy. That's how special of a season Jonathan Brooks was having before he tore his ACL, unfortunately. And it makes all the sense in the world to go to the NFL now instead of trying to return next year in November or December. And, and and be the third running back on the team behind Cedric Baxter or Jaden Blue. So it just really didn't matter. But I'm so excited for Jonathan Brooks uh, to go to the next level. I think he's going to be one of the best running backs in the NFL from the moment that he's healthy. And I'm very appreciative of what he was able to do for this Texas Longhorns football team this year and so excited that we actually got to see Jonathan Brooks in a full-time role after B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson left. Obviously, you know, there was some food left on the plate because he got injured, unfortunately. But the eight games that he was a starter were special at the University of Texas. Alfred Collins returning. This is huge with the news that True Carter has transferred to Auburn. Um you know, I, I guess the, the notes or the stories were saying he wanted somewhere where he had a better chance to start instead of being a rotation piece. And that makes sense. And obviously we didn't see a ton of production from him this year being behind two all Americans, but you know, I said, you have to give credit for him, um, being a part or being an integral rotation piece for a defense that was third in the country in rush defense and only allowed 18 points per game. So we have to, uh, give credit to true Carter for that and be forever grateful for his contributions in terms of Alfred Collins. I think this is huge right now, of course, you know, we know the story of Alfred Collins, and we've been waiting since 2020 for a certain level of talent to meet the production. Right. But at the end of the day, you're kind of bare at that defensive tackle position right now with Surrondre Sweat, Byron Murphy and uh Trill Carter leaving. So right now, coming back, you have Vernon Broughton, Alfred Collins and Sadir Mitchell, along with some true freshmen. Right. And really, all three of those players, along with the true freshmen, are unproven in terms of playing at a high level at the University of Texas. But at this point, you just need bodies, you need depths, and you need more cracks at it, right? The more good players you can get in there, the more that you can hope to emerge next year and play at a high level for the Texas Longhorns. And I think Alfred Collins returning as a fifth-year senior is huge for that room that has a lot of question marks right now heading into the SEC. A quick word from our sponsors, and then Tech, Michigan or Georgia on the schedule in 2024. Which one looks like the toughest matchup right now? For the Texas Longhorns football team. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. Find bets in the new explorers tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the National Football League. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, Texas is playing the last three national champions, two of those being Georgia and one of those being Michigan, on their schedule in 2024. We play Georgia at home on October 19th, so that would be I think probably after the definitely would be after the Oklahoma game. Then I'm not sure if we have a buy and then play Georgia, or if there's like a game in between and then we play Georgia. But either way, right, it's going to be a tough October for the Longhorns. And then the second game of the season, Texas goes on the road to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and will play the defending national champion Michigan Wolverines. So, which one looks like a tougher matchup right now? for the Texas Longhorns? I would have to say Georgia, right? When you look at Michigan, you know, there's been a lot of smoke about Jim Harbaugh returning to the National Football League. And I think that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, he just won the championship at Michigan. How can you leave? I think it's the opposite, right? You know, like I said, this team was three years in the making. A lot of these players had been on the teams that lost to, uh, Georgia and TCU in the college football playoffs, and you know, made the determination they were going to come back and do something special. But that group is largely gone, right? Will Johnson, you know, same Rasteel, um, the big dude I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, I think Graham, the defensive tackle who was elite, uh, on the offensive side, you're losing Blake Horn, probably half that offensive line. JJ McCarthy, he's got a really good grade from Mel Carpenter. Mel Kiper, he should enter the NFL draft Um, and some of those receivers right so you're losing so many starters that it's just a completely different team next year so I think Jim Harbaugh ultimately will move on to the NFL and scratch that itch once again and I think you're losing half of this team it's still Michigan they're still going to be super talented it's still going to be a tough environment to play in on the road in Ann Arbor Michigan but you will not be playing the team that won the national championship last night right and I think For that reason, Michigan will still be tough, and I'm not saying that Texas will win the game, right? It's still going to be a tough matchup, but I think you have a better chance of meeting beating Michigan on the road in week two next year when they have so much to figure out in terms of who they are rather than a Georgia team who will still be humming, especially by the time you play them in October. And When you look at Georgia – Obviously, Kirby Smart is going to have that defense ready to play and be one of the best defenses in the country, just in terms of coaching, but also pure talent, right? I know a lot of players have entered the transfer portal from Georgia, but that defense is still made up of four and five stars everywhere you look, right? They just brought in... um Travis Etienne out of the transfer portal from Florida. I think he's one of the most explosive players in the country. And you have Carson Beck returning at the quarterback position. And we know how important continuity at the quarterback position can be. Right. So, you know, obviously Georgia is losing uh, Brock Bowers. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure if they're losing lad macaque or not you know and they're probably losing one of their best offensive tackles but i think georgia is returning more i think georgia probably is just the best team still in college football right now but you know losing the sec championship kept them out of the college football playoff and i think while a michigan team will still be finding themselves potentially with a new head coach in week two georgia will be humming (laughs) with a lot of continuity on october 19th and even though it's at home that's going to be a very tough matchup for the texas longhorns because like i said you know i know that they didn't make the college football playoff but that's more about there only being four teams in there than georgia not being a good team you still can make the argument and i'll still listen to it that georgia is the premier program and premier football team in college football right now i mean we saw what they did to florida state (laughs) right missing a lot of their players and i think that's gonna be a very tough matchup for the longhorns on october 19th next year in dk in dkr both tough matchups but i'm not saying that Texas will lose to Michigan or to Georgia. I'm not picking the game at all right now. I just think Georgia will be a tougher matchup than Michigan next year, even though Michigan is the defending national champion. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook em. Peace.